The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 33 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. My guest today is Chad Andrus, a broadcast and media services provider in Denver, Colorado. Chad is a cancer survivor in remission from lymphoma since 2009, a husband and a father of three with an awesome dog. Currently, we like our dogs here. We have a couple cats too. He's a pro at helping people tell their story, and I'm excited to have him with me today to share his story and his cancer truths. Welcome, Chad. Thanks, Jen. Uh, I guess uh, I better tell a good story then, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a long time now. So uh, this is, is probably the second or third time over the last year where I really sat down with someone who's had a similar experience or, you know, a cancer experience and then really gone into detail. And it's, it's really interesting to kind of revisit what you recall and what sticks out, you know, 12 years later after a diagnosis, right? Uh, coming up next month will be 12 years from uh, the time I was diagnosed. So, uh, you know, if we, if we rewind all the way back to 2008, which seems forever ago now, um, <laughs> it was the summer that uh, I was getting married. So, you know, everybody was, uh, you know, really, really busy on high alert. And of course, uh, Christy and I getting ready for the wedding, we're working out, right? Like crazy, trying to be in great shape. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the gym and I'm just kind of doing what I normally do. I'm not pushing anything too hard, but I'm losing weight. Right. And I'm going, Oh, this is amazing. Right. I'm going to look great. And I'm going to be in, in fantastic shape. So that happens. We get married on July 4th, 2008, uh, top of Val mountain. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful wedding. And then, uh, you know, we waited a little while, uh, until later in August and into September before we went on our honeymoon. So, we went to the Mediterranean, did like a month. It was fantastic. We were on a boat. We were in all kinds of different locations, 10 countries. It was wonderful, right? And while on the boat, uh, I started to notice that I had a little dry cough, right? And, you know, it, it wasn't anything too bad. I thought, you know, I traveled across the world. I'm in a different country here every day, right? Uh, there's all kinds of people. There's all kinds of respiratory things, right? 12 years later, we know a lot more about that, but then we did that then. But, you know, uh, you know it even got to the point where uh, we were in Turkey and we were at, uh, I don't want to call it a factory, but it was a, a shop where they make the homemade Turkish rugs, like the carpets, all right? And we were having a snack and eating. And then I, I had a, uh, I remember distinctly, I had a can of orange Fanta uh, with the snack we were having, right? And when I was drinking it, right, I, I just kept coughing, right? I just had this dry cough, dry cough. And, you know, I'm thinking it's something in the air or something I'm eating and I'm in a foreign place or, you know, what's going on. So it, it got to the point where it bothered me so much. Uh, I went to the doctor on the boat. Right. They, you know, just kind of check me out, you know, see how I was breathing, heart rate, all that stuff. Or like there's, you know, there's hundreds of different respiratory infections and coughs. Right. You're on a ship. There's people everywhere. You're in crowds. You probably just picked up a cough. You know, some of them go away in two days. Some of them take six months to go away. Right. So we didn't really think too much about it. 
I just kind of powered through. At one point in Greece, stopped in a pharmacy, got some really crazy cough drops that are we are not familiar with in <laughs> the United States. Uh, I do recall that on a bus ride. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so that's kind of where it started. Uh, we come home from the Mediterranean. You know, I give it a few weeks. I'm still coughing. Go to the doctor, check it out. It was nothing, nothing. A few weeks later, go back like this is still bothering me. He goes, well, why why don't we take a chest X-ray just to kind of see uh, if there's anything going on in there? So they take a chest X-ray and then they see a giant mass in my chest, right? And they're like, whoa, this is a big deal. You need to go in and get it biopsied right away, all right? So you know, we're now in October, and once I get uh, a biopsy, it comes back, and I have to deal with my primary care physician saying, yeah, you know, you have cancer. You need to get to an oncologist right away, right? And referred me. So at this point, I'm starting to panic because my new bride is on a trip. She's gone to New York and I, I'm at, at home by myself when I get this diagnosis. Wow. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, her brother comes and picks me up, takes me over to their friend's house. We play with their dogs, just kind of take my mind off anything. And, she, you know, I call her and tell her what's going on. And, you know, we've been married two months and she's like, in New York, she's like, what is happening? Right. So she gets on a plane to, to fly home and we go meet with the oncologist and figure out that I have lymphoma. And I have a mass in my chest, uh, about the size of a grapefruit, really large. They said it's been there a while, but it hadn't really advanced past uh, what they call the bulky stage one. So, you know, we start going through different tests to examine exactly what's there, the blood work. Um, and, uh, before making a plan, uh, I will tell you that those first few days between diagnosis and knowing how to attack it for me were by far the worst experience. Part of it was because I went through a bone marrow biopsy, which (laughs) involves like, uh, I don't know, 37 foot long needle that goes into into your back. Right. Um, that was, that was pretty terrifying. Probably the most painful uh, experience that I can recall physically, right? Um, that it was so much so where uh, Christy was with me and the doctor was like, yeah, you can't be in the room for this. She was like, what do you mean? They're like, no, you do not want to see this happen. You can't be there, right? The needle goes in, like your legs just shoot with pain and go numb. Um, that that physically was was the worst part, but from a, a psychological, you know, mental, emotional standpoint, that period of time, between my primary care physician diagnosing me and before making a plan and knowing my oncologist was the scariest because you're just told you have cancer, right? And you know, you've heard that your whole life. I remember telling Christy sitting in the doctor's office, waiting for the oncologist saying, I don't want to die and I don't want to live knowing I'm going to die. Right. Because I had no idea where this was, what the extent of it was, how severe it was. I had very little knowledge of lymphoma. Right. Other than that, you know, I was athletic. I was healthy. I was in decent shape. Right. I'd never had any problems before. Right. So this is all new. I have no idea what to expect. And like with any diagnosis, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a pessimist by any means, but people automatically go to the worst case scenario. Right. Yes. Uh, Like, what what is going to happen here? I, I don't know. And that's the fear, right? The fear is not knowing. Once I met with my oncologist here in Colorado, and he kind of told me, you know, this, this is not all that uncommon, right? People that get lymphoma like you have, it happens in this age, 
age group, you know, late twenties, early thirties, that's when it happens. It is treatable and you should be fine. So he laid out a plan for chemo uh, and then likely to be followed up by radiation just to kind of back that up. Um, Because of your age. Yeah, exactly. Did you hear that? I heard that a lot because of your age. Right, right. (laughs) So, you know, what, once he uh, kind of laid out what it was, what the statistics and the numbers were on it and gave me a plan, a huge part of the weight was lifted for me, right? Then I, I had a design and I knew what I could do going forward, right? Uh, you know, I was told, you know, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be awful. You know, this is what it's going to do to your body. This is how you're going to feel, these are the things you have to do, right? You're going to have to, you know, not go out at restaurants. You can't travel and fly. You can't definitely cannot eat sushi, right? <laughs> which, which was a big deal for us. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, things like that. But one, once the plan was laid out, I had a schedule to where I, I pretty much figured out like this, this was not going to shut me down, right? I'm not, I'm not going to be in the hospital just hooked up to machines for three months or six months or whatever it is until it's over, right? I mean, it's outpatient treatment. So one of the biggest things that helped me is at the time I was working for a basketball team, broadcasting and and running their PR and media relations in Colorado, and basketball season was starting, right? That was the time of the year. So... Uh, I was fortunate enough to where it, it wasn't quite like an NBA schedule, but it was at the time NBA Development League. It's now called the G League. And most of the games are pretty much Thursday through Sunday uh, because of travel schedules, the number of teams, and the way the way the league works. There were the occasional Tuesday or something like that. But I looked at the entire schedule. There was not a Monday with a game. So I said, okay all my chemo is going to be on Mondays. Right. Um, and I would go in on Monday and, uh, I ended up doing eight different sessions of chemo on Mondays and I would go in and sit in the chair. Uh, they put a port in my chest so they could easily, you know, pump it in instead of, of puncturing the veins every time and all of that good stuff. You know, I, I, vaguely remember that I had never heard had any kind of surgery of any kind. Right? I'd never had a broken bone. I'd never had my body worked on. So that was a little bit different because they were like, yeah, we're going to put this little uh, piece of equipment inside your chest and we're going to plug you in. Like, okay. Yeah. It's uh, so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, you know, at, at the end of the day, it did make it easier. Right. Um, so much easier, you know, but at, at the time there's so much going through your head, so much stress, plus the, the physical toll that it's, it's taking on your body from not just the disease itself, but the, the stress of it, right. The strain of what you're, you're heading into. So a lot of that stuff is a blur, right. Going in and getting the port put in and waiting for chemo to start. You know, the, uh, the first chemo session, right, when they'd give me all the warnings and said, you know, you're, you're probably going to feel sick. It's, you know, this is what's going to do. I remember sitting there and it took longer than the rest because they wanted to make sure I wasn't having a, you know, a, any kind of, a, you know, adverse reaction to, yeah. to all this poison they were pumping into me. Um, yeah, so, they take, did they take breaks in between? And- yeah, yeah, they kind of spaced it out. You know, the first one, I think it was it was close to four hours, right? By the time I was sitting in there, uh, in and out, they progressively got shorter because they knew I could I could handle the dosages and things like yeah. that. 
but um you know i remember they told me you know it's it's gonna you know we're gonna start this you're gonna taste metal in your mouth right and it's you know and i would get up and go to the bathroom and that wasn't an experience on itself because the colors right uh, that you and see. you're rolling the cart right right exactly you know, you're right? the proverbial cancer patient right with your right. like you got all these cords you gotta unplug the right the cart and Right, right. And I, ne- I never expected to, you know, urinate and have it be pink, right? Um, you know, it's just not something that, you know, you're prepared for. Right. Um, I remember going through that first chemo treatment and I was like, it wasn't that bad, right? I mean, they, they gave me some Benadryl like halfway through, which made me sleepy and I took a nap and I came home. There was one specific warning that they told me about for chemo that I did not heed for the first session and I paid the price. They told me that if I did not take some sort of over-the-counter acid reducer, uh, a Prilosec or whatever they recommended, that I might have some problems after the first session. Uh, I did not before the first chemo treatment. So that night, uh, I do recall trying to go to bed and I just could not stop the acid in my chest and I was doing everything I can. I was standing up. I was burping like, like hundreds and hundreds of times. I was trying to stand up to be vertical and not lay down for it. We had a little puppy. Uh, I, oh, I'll, I'll try to forget the puppy, right? We, um, we adopted a puppy who was also sick at the time because she was in the uh, in the kennel right so she had right. uh some issues so the puppy's not feeling good and getting sick i'm standing there just burping repeatedly while my wife's trying to go to sleep <laughs> right so she's like you know i've got to get some rest again so she has no idea what we're about to get into right but the puppy was there to to try and help me and comfort me when we knew i was going to go through chemo and i was going to be at home basically a lot right so it was something that you know i could snuggle with and play with, but also would get me up and make me get out of the house to walk, right? For any of the exercise I could get. Um, so I'm up all night long just with this terrible heartburn and reflux, just, you know, burping and trying to get any kind of relief I can. You know, I might've gotten two hours of sleep. And of course, my wife put up with it with whatever she could get for rest. From that point forward, I, I took the over-the-counter acid reducers, didn't have any problems with it. The chemo sessions, you know, began to get shorter and shorter as I'll go through. Um, but I got to the point where a lot of my work that I could do to prepare for the rest of the week, I would just bring my laptop in and I would sit there and they would plug me in and I would do my work sitting in Kibo. Right? I'd type up game notes. I'd write game programs. I'd send emails, right? Make all of my prep for broadcasts, do all of those things. Um, you know, it did, did take a physical toll, right? When you start to lose more weight and, you know, you lose the color in your skin. Eventually I did lose all, all the hair. Uh, you know, that was probably, uh, I would say after probably the third chemo session is when the hair really started to fall out and it was just like, okay, just go ahead and shave it all off. Right. Um, not deal with it anymore. Uh, you know, from that point forward is when it's the mental struggle because you're looking at yourself in the mirror every day and you're seeing the physical toll it's taking on you. Right. Even if, you know, you're like, okay, I just have to do this for this long. I'd only have this many treatments left. Right. When my oncologist told me, you know, you'll probably take eight sessions of chemo. I said, okay, I'll do it in six. Right. And that was the initial thought. 
right? It's like, okay, I'll just get it done, you know, in six sessions instead of eight. But, uh, you know, he was right, obviously. He's the professional. Ended up taking eight, right? Uh, Got down, you know, pretty skinny, right? Didn't look great. But I was still functioning, right? I was still, you know, working. I was still doing my broadcasts, uh, all of those things. Fast forward into uh, the spring, once we had kind of really realized what had happened with adopting the puppy. We got her basically for my birthday, but you know, you're not, you're not real focused, right? You're not paying attention to everything. Uh, turns out when we looked back at it, after we got her all taken care of with doctors and shots and healed and everything from the puppy parvo she had from the kennel, all that good stuff. My dog was born on the day I was diagnosed. Wow. So the dog that I went to the kettle and picked out and came up and jumped in my lap and started chewing on my fingers to help heal me, the birth date that they had listed for the puppy was my diagnosis day. So, you know, that's been a pretty special relationship all, all along for not only that reason, but the reason that, you know, we always wanted a dog, but at that time there was even more urgency and reason to get one. But I mean, she was also sick when I was sick, right. As a puppy. So we went through that together and it's a huge, huge part of the story, right? She is going to turn 12 next month. Right. Wow. And still around and she's, you know, 90 pound, huge, <laughs> massive dog. Right. But, um, you know, that, that was a really, really big part of me in terms of my attitude, uh, happiness, Right. And I, and I don't want to make it sound like, you know, the dog did everything. You know, let's be clear here. You know, my doctors that I had confidence in did a lot and my wife did everything else. Right. I had the support system and the network to take care of everything. Right. With great health insurance <laughs> at the time. You know, we didn't go bankrupt, you know, and her being able to handle that load of being a breadwinner, supporting us, allowing me to rest when I needed to rest still taking care of training a puppy and feeding me and dealing with relatives that were coming in to visit. Right. I mean, it was, it was a lot for someone who had just got married. Remember this, like this is her first experience as a newlywed, right? It's ruining all of that, that phase of the first year. Right. And she's doing all of these things for us. So we get through that. I go uh, into radiation after chemo funny experience. Uh, they tell me, you know, radiation may bother you this way, that way, you know, you may feel really fatigued. Um, radiation to me, I noticed no difference at all whatsoever, uh, experience any of it, right? They put the, um, plastic contraption mold over me where they kind of bolted me to the table to make sure they would hit the right spot. Uh, you know, and that was like an everyday thing, five days a week for a month after chemo. Uh, I mean, the, the inconvenience of radiation, I, I'm being perfectly honest here, and I, I don't want to undermine this for anybody who's had a different experience, much more, you know, tougher and straining on their body. For me, it, the toughest part was commuting down there every day. Like I had to drive down to the hospital and do it every day, right? And I'd be in there for 15 minutes and they'd zap me and they'd flip the laser around underneath and they'd zap from the backside and I'd be out and I'd leave and that was it, right? As it was literally the, the effort of driving down there and driving back every day was the hardest part. So that was quite a relief after, uh, after chemo had ended. We get towards the end of 
my treatment coinciding with the end of the basketball season in April. For two years, uh, this was only the third year of the franchise. The first two years, the team in its first year in existence lost the championship game in overtime on a heartbreaking buzzer beating three point shot. The second year, they were probably the best team in the league and got upset in their first playoff game and did not make it. The third year, the team was as good or better than either of the other two and made it to a championship round. So now, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a hat while I'm broadcasting because I'm bald. Um, you know, I'm on the air for radio and television, but they actually finish it off and get the job done. So as much as the dog's birth coincided with the start of my treatment, the basketball team's championship coincided with the end of my radiation treatment. And it was kind of like I made it through all of this, right? We, we started here, now we're here. So from October of 2008 to April of 2009, right, that period doesn't seem like it was very long, but for everything that happened in that window, right, that kind of is the storyline arc of ending with a championship where I'm celebrating even though, uh, you know, I don't look healthy. I, I still am showing the effects of the chemo and the treatment with no hair and, and pale skin and everything else. But it kind of uh, it put a wrap on everything to end it all. And then going forward, it was like, OK, now we can start the next chapter of our life. Right. I I did that. I completed the season. I worked through it. We've done it all. Uh, I got to go ahead to stop treatment, you know, started remission. And, you know, from that point, got uh, got checks for uh, a few years. Uh, you know, it was pretty regularly about every four to six months for the first two years, then six months out after that. And then I think at probably, what was it the five year mark or the six year mark? I went and visited is like, I don't want to see you again. Don't come here anymore. So I haven't seen him, haven't talked to him since. And uh, I don't plan to. So uh, that's, that's kind of where we are. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I have so many things that I would love to chat about. So we're going to take a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, Jen here. I hope you're enjoying the show. When I finished treatment, I discovered survivorship was way more challenging than I ever expected it to be. There are a lot of things no one prepares you for. I attended one support group meeting and knew that was not for me. The more people I talked with, the more I realized I was not alone. This podcast is a forum for people to share their cancer stories from start to present. And my Facebook group is a gathering space for people to find positive inspiration on the not so positive days. In a community of people who understand the challenges of this journey, So come on over and join the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and be part of the conversation. When you see the question, how did you hear about us? Be sure to mention this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you there. Hi, we're back. I'm here with Chad Andrus, and we have been talking about his journey with lymphoma. One of the things that I think has been really interesting in this time of COVID when we're recording is 
I found a number of cancer survivors have found the transition to stay home orders and the challenges that we've faced with social distancing and wearing masks has been a little bit easier conversion for us because we've had times in our life where we've needed to social distance for our own well-being. So how has that experience been for you? Uh, I think we've processed it as a family uh, a lot better than most. Uh, And I do think as a family of five, we've also been probably a little bit stricter than what we've seen in our neighborhood or, you know, extended family or communities. Um, And it hasn't been too much of a problem, right? I mean, we have little kids and they get frustrated and they don't understand and they get upset and, you know, you, you can expect that, right? But from my standpoint, from my wife's standpoint, uh, I think you're right, right? We have gone through it before and it makes sense, right? Because if you talk about COVID and just general population, there's, you know, a, a recommendation that, you know, yes, you should quarantine, you should isolate, you should wear a mask, you should, you know, not go into crowds, you should not do this, not do that, because you may be uh, subjected to it, right? You may run the risk of infection. If you're a cancer survivor, you've had the infection, right? So you know you've gotten it, right? It's not that there's a chance you may get it. You've had it and you've been told, do this, your life depends on it. Okay. (laughs) Pretty simple. That's not negotiable, right? Right. That's not, (laughs) that's not uh, something about, well, you know, maybe I'll think about it. No, like you follow the protocol because you have to go through a treatment to get out on the other side. So, uh, I mean, it does make sense, right? Um, if you make the connection that people who've done it before, right, uh, you don't want to go through any type of infection or any type of limitation like that again, because it's awful, right? So if you can prevent that from happening and all you have to do is, you know, follow some protocol or the, the simplest rules, right? That, that seems like it's pretty easy to do for someone who's, who's had a, an experience that, you know, was, was uh, equally bad, if not worse, right? Previously. Right. Well, and it's interesting as well, because I think for both of us, we were otherwise healthy, young people. And so as someone who was a young, healthy person that's experienced cancer, quite unexpectedly, when we look at COVID and you hear people say, you know, how often do we hear people say, well, I'm young and healthy. I don't need insurance. I'm young and healthy. I don't need to wear a mask. I'm young and healthy. I can go to that party. Like, and we're like, no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. no, that's not necessarily true. And I want to stay young and healthy. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, There's certain situations where, you know, I mean, kids, older teenagers, they, they're going to live forever. They don't Mm -hmm. have that same understanding or grasp of life is short. But I liked also what you were saying about the protocols. Because one of the challenges that we have in this time too, is that there's so many unknowns And we can do the best that we can. Like when we look at how the protocols have changed over the years, like we learn science is doing 
you know, trials and then we learn and radiation gets more targeted and which puts us at less risk in the future. And there's all of those things and really following the protocols and understanding, like, how does this affect me? How could this affect me in the future? I think those are such important topics that we don't always give their full due. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty evident, it's pretty clear. I'm a sports guy, right? Numbers yeah. are a lot. You deal with statistics a lot, right? So if you can put down on paper, right, if you take steps A, B, and C, this is what the percentage chance looks like. If you don't, this is what the percentage chance looks like, okay? That's pretty easy for me to understand and process, right? Um, you know, if you want to give yourself the best opportunity for success, for good health going forward, right, then follow those steps. It's the same way as as going through a diagnosis. So I wasn't going to go mm-hmm. meet with my oncologist and have him make a recommendation go, yeah, but I don't really want to do that. So, yeah, I mean... I know I'm supposed to come to chemo every three weeks, but uh, I mean, I'll try it once, maybe twice, eh, and then I might not show up the rest of the time. Like that, that's not an option. So, right. uh, you know, do what is uh, recommended by the people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And when we started, as you were sharing your story and kind of that area of the fear of the unknown, not knowing, because cancer when we hear the word cancer, it's scary and completely unknown. We don't, we don't know where we fall in that range. So when they give the statistics and they tell us what the prognosis is and how manageable it is or isn't, and knowing all the different components, the further down this path we go, the more information they have. So one of the really common things in survivorship is fear of recurrence um, and all the other psychosocial kind of components, uh, PTSD, uh, trauma, other kinds of trauma that we go through. Um, you know, Christy had posted a beautiful family photo on Instagram and had commented about how Chadwick Boseman's passing had impacted being a cancer survivor, you being a cancer survivor. And we felt the same way. My husband had thyroid cancer. I've had breast cancer. Like we were like really shaken by that loss. And it's often an interesting thing because when, when we see how people who look young, healthy, vibrant, it shakes us. How did how did that affect you? Like, does that, did, did that bring things up for you? Yeah. I mean, he's, he was younger than me one and he's a superhero literally. Right. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean it, you know, it, it does give you pause. Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, I think from our standpoint, uh, and, and our personal experience, the, uh, the thing that is always in the back of your mind is, we being being newlyweds when this all happened had to wait not only to get through it but then another two years before considering starting a family right i had to make sure all of that that toxic chemo you know was completely out of my body that i was going to be healthy one of the the scariest statements 
uh, was, you know, Christy had asked the oncologist about that, you know, from the get go from family planning standpoint. And she, he told her straight up, he's like, you know, it's not just about him recovering and being healthy. It's about staying healthy. So you don't want to start a family and not have your kids have a dad, right? You know, if there were something to come back up and it would be worse, right? So it wasn't just about, you know, the initial treatment and what it would do. It was about making sure it had a, a long lasting effect and, you know, it was gone, you know, uh, for the foreseeable future. Right. Um, you know, so that was, that was a big difference, um, in our experience right there, but yeah. Um, you know, anytime anyone deals with this, right. You know, it was, um, it was very powerful to hear the stories of what he had been going through for so long over the last several years and still doing what he did right to live his life. Right. So, um, you know, I, I don't, don't want to quit my experience to that. Right. Uh, I didn't, didn't create that kind of art, but knowing that, um, you know, he was kind of doing his thing, right. The way I yeah. wanted to do my thing. Right. I was like, all right, that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. And there's an interesting thing that happens as well. Like I worked all through hearing your story of working, like work was a touchstone it wasn't a point of avoidance. It was a touchstone to being vital. Mm-hmm. And it's interest. That's a whole interesting topic in terms of people that who work versus people who don't work. And in the, in the case of Chadwick Boseman, I mean, he created that iconic superhero of black Panther and it just makes it eat that much more absolutely amazing. It's an interesting topic that you bring up, though, that of um, fertility and the challenges that come with that, um, having, gone through, having gone through a cancer treatment. Did your doctor – and it's also interesting. This is, a, this is kind of the first time that I'm – hearing like that guidance around the longevity piece did did he sort of you were saying that you waited two years to start to make sure that all the treatment and everything was out of your body at what point was your doctor like feeling like you were on the other side of this he was pretty confident by the time i i even finished chemo just because it had you know, shrunken everything the way it was intended to do. And, um, you know, I think the, uh, the radiation was just kind of more of an insurance on top of that. And, you know, he was, he was really confident just to continue to monitor and, and check the numbers and everything. But I mean, from the get go, he was like, you know, when, when you go through this, right, your body is not going to be yours again for a while. Right. I mean, it was like, we're not talking about two years since you're diagnosed. We're talking about, you know, we're minimum two years from when you finish before we even start to consider anything. Right. And that was, you know, that put us into 2011. Right. And our, you know, our oldest kids are twins who were born in 2012. Right. I mean, it was literally, you know, that process of, you know, you've got to wait for the go ahead. 
Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because as, as young, healthy people who are in good shape, it's kind of almost unbelievable when they say, well, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take a couple of years to get back to like feeling like you own your body again. And I know mm-hmm. for me, I was kind of like, well, uh-huh. sure. I'm going to be different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, right. Like I'm in really good shape. Like right. that's not, and my oncologist will say mm-hmm. to me, well, you're the healthiest person I've seen today. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, but I'm still having like X, Y, and Z is annoying. Like, right. great. Right. I'm happy that I'm the healthiest person you've seen today, but I'm mm-hmm. not the healthiest me that I've right. seen. Right. I mean, the, the two things that I, I would say just, uh, you know, for advice, uh, anybody listening and, and deal with this in the present, chemo brain is real, right? Yes. That's a real thing where you are, uh, your thoughts are cloudy. You don't have memory. You're not as sharp, right? And that is a lasting effect, right? That is That takes a while before you are quick on your feet, right? And you just, you know, you're, you're the way you should be right? Mentally yeah. and sharp. Um, that, that's a real thing, right? So, you know, if, if you understand that, right, you can um, manage it, uh, I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that I would say, if, if I have a regret is, you know, I, I, was, I was an athlete my entire life. I played a lot of sports and, and particularly basketball and stayed in good shape. And I was a personal trainer at one point, you know, I lifted weights and, you know, did a lot of exercise. Um, Say what you want about, you know, a person like Lance Armstrong with what he did, but the way he stayed committed to his physical fitness after treatment, I wish I would have done that because I did not, right. Um, It broke my body down and I did not get back on to really hard workouts to build muscle, to build up my cardio. And, you know, now I'm at a point where, you know, it's, you know, it's 11 years later since I was done and I should have been doing it the entire time. And, you know, I'm still not there. Um, if you can maintain routines for physical fitness, right. That, that is probably my biggest regret not doing that. You know, what I, what little I would have been capable of doing during treatment, but then immediately after to go back at it hard. And that, that was the one thing that I didn't do that I wish I would have done. Yeah. And I, I would even follow that up with seeking some help for that, like assistance in that process, because it was very surprising to me, the fear that comes up around getting moving again. Uh And I had worked with cancer survivors and patients for a decade. And when it happened to me, I was like, Ooh, well, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> uh-huh. Like I had been running half marathons regularly. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I can run three miles. Maybe uh-huh. I can't. And so having a, a person who can help hold some accountability just to get moving again, because there is so much, our bodies weren't broken down and it doesn't, it takes time and it takes so much more time than we really think that it will. And having a person to say, 
this is normal. Uh The cognitive dysfunction, the chemo brain that you referred to, one of the biggest challenges I think for people is that we don't prepare them fully for, hey, these things are normal. Uh Might not be able to remember people's names, like retrieving words might be hard, like that's normal. Because I think when we start to experience those things, we're like, what is happening? I'm six months out from chemo. Why am I still? Why is recall hard? The other thing that, you know, for me personally (laughs) was a challenge and, uh, you know, I I have no one to blame but myself for this, but when, when you're in chemo and it gives you a metal taste in your mouth and nothing tastes good and you're dropping weight and your doctor tells you, eat anything that tastes good, eat anything that you can keep down right? Okay. So wonderful. I'm going to be on a diet of pizza and ice cream and hamburgers and, you know, the, the worst things for me, right? Well, my body is, is already being poisoned and I'm trying to heal and I'm eating garbage just because it's the only thing that I have an appetite for, right? And that's a hard trend to break, right? When, uh, you know, they're like, you know, you're not, you're not in treatment anymore. Are you sure you need to be, uh, you know, having the, the triple with cheese, right? I'm like, well, you know, uh, that's what I've been eating for six months, right? It's, uh, it, it's different, right? It's, uh, you, you, have to, uh, you have to stay focused on as many different areas as you can. And I would say if there were yeah. the two that I did not have a handle on, it was that. It was the diet and the exercise, right? And, you know, uh, I'm not going to say everybody can do it, right? You can only do what you can do. You can only Absolutely. do so much. But if, if I could do it again, those were the two things that I would put more focus on. Yeah, it's curious too because we associate chemo with weight loss. And in the case of lymphoma, that's absolutely true. Like the chemo that you're getting in lymphoma treatment is no joke. None of it's a joke, but it's definitely no joke for lymphoma. For breast cancer, the first thing my oncologist said to me was he leaned forward and he put his hand on my leg and he said, you cannot gain any weight (laughs) because with breast cancer chemo, people gain weight. Uh And for a decade, they didn't really associate the treatment with the weight gain. And so I have a client who's 14 years a survivor and... (laughs) She still says, why didn't anyone tell me? Uh (laughs) Because she's been, that's been a challenge. Uh Like coming back from that. And so that's like one of my silver linings that I, and I'm gluten and dairy free. I'm celiac. So I have, you know, apple fritters might've been my go-to food, but I couldn't eat them. Uh So... (laughs) (laughs) That created a little bit of a barrier. So yeah, that's diet and exercise are, they're challenging. And when we're facing a situation like that, we're going to go for comfort. Mm -hmm. We want the comfort food. We want things that are going to make us feel good. Absolutely. No shame in that. (laughs) I like a good burger myself. Awesome. So thank you so, so much. I feel like there are so many topics. The more we talk, the more the more golden nuggets kind of come up. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for being so open. 
My pleasure. Yeah. If anybody's listening that, uh, you know, ever needs any tips or advice or anything like that, you know, feel free to, to reach out. I'm happy to uh, give whatever input that, uh, that might help. Awesome. It's definitely one of the things I've seen in this last, these last few weeks is that necessity to communicate and to be able to have a have place to talk about what's going on. And I think for men especially. So I appreciate you so much. You're only the third gentleman that I've <laughs> that I've had on the show and the conversations are always fabulous. So thank you so much for, for sharing and for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Chad, for sharing your story with me today. There are so many components to a cancer experience from the impacts to our families to the challenges of getting moving again. I think we can all relate to that. That's our episode for this week. As of today, the podcast is returning to weekly episodes. Come on over to the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and share with me the topics you'd like to hear addressed in future episodes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.